1: Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the Beyond Markets podcast. My name is Helen Freer and on today's podcast I'm delighted to be joined by Adrian Yersval, our head of fund advisory here at Julius Baer. Hi Adrian and welcome. Hi Helen, it's great to be back. So on today's podcast we're going to talk about alternative investments which we've been hearing a lot more about over the last few months. Why do you think this is Adrian?
2: You know, Helen, I think the last time we spoke was about, I want to say, 18 months ago. And back then, we had talked about expectations around hedge fund performance when market once again experiences higher volatility. And boy, have we seen higher volatility. Now, why do we actually see and expect back then higher volatility? Because, number one, we knew that the days of easy money during quantitative easing were over. And we also knew that as the massive market easing measures by central banks were coming to an end, And as interest rates were increasing, some alternative investment strategies would benefit off of a market that is characterized by reduced market liquidity, capital rationing and persistent volatility in asset prices. The short answer is that the opportunity set for alternative strategies has increased massively.
1: And just to be clear before we get into the detail, because I think people are sometimes referring to slightly different things, what exactly do you mean when you talk about alternative investments?
2: Right, it's it's probably easier to exclude what's not an alternative investment, and that's, in a nutshell, the plain buying of equities and fixed income, be that as single assets or in the form of ETFs and so on. Alternative investments can include Private equity, venture capital, it also includes managed futures, it includes art and antiques, uh, commodities and derivatives contracts, and it certainly includes digital assets as well. But it also includes certain trading strategies that can involve equities and fixed income as well. For example, you can run an investment strategy that goes long and short a specific stock, or one where extensive leverage is being used. This is where we once again move into hedge fund strategies. And how can
1: an investor best incorporate alternative investments into their portfolio?
2: What kind of alternative investment we recommend to clients very heavily depends on what the client's investment needs are. I'll give you an example. We have lots of clients who are looking for sources of return that are not moving in lockstep with markets. In other words, clients are looking for investment solutions that will not move up and down with fixed income and equity markets. This is especially true for equity markets, given the levels of volatility we've seen over the past 18 months or so. If a client wants to reduce the degree of market correlation of their equity portfolio, then we would likely be looking at suitable hedge fund strategies. Or a client might want to reduce the volatility of their fixed income portfolio, but doesn't want to do so at the expense of lower yield, especially in this higher interest rate environment. In this case, we might be looking with them at direct lending strategies. But here again, we want to understand the client's need. What is the level of risk they are looking for? What is the level of illiquidity they are comfortable with? We have a wide palette of solutions, which enables us to provide solutions that suit the client and their portfolio needs.
1: Alternative investments are great for diversifying exposure then. So you would obviously only allocate part of a portfolio to alternatives, but that could be really useful to lower the overall risk level, is that right?
2: That's right, and the way I think of it, or we think of it, is that we are diversifying out our risk. This is an important distinction because no investment is risk-free. Even some governments can default on their bonds. So it's really more useful to think about alternative investments as diversifying out the risk away from, let's say, market volatility in equity markets. Now, on a portfolio level, this diversification of risk should mean an overall risk reduction. What I mean here is that if you have a part of your portfolio doing poorly, you need another part of your portfolio to do well. This is the basic idea behind fixed income and equity investments, commonly referred to as 60-40 portfolios. When equity markets struggle, fixed income should stabilize your portfolio. This, of course, doesn't work so well in 2022, a year in which hedge fund strategies generally protect the portfolios very well. And some strategies actually did phenomenally well, returning in excess of 20% but we saw good value protection elsewhere as well, like the area of private lending.
1: Okay, and I guess another reason for interest in alternatives at the minute would be the current uncertain environment. Uh, We've got growth slowing and inflation still pretty high. So I'd expect there to be more interest in strategies that should deliver positive returns regardless of the investment environment. How does it actually work though that a strategy gets you a positive return no matter what?
2: I think first it's important to know that there are very very few investment strategies or funds that have done well regardless of the market environment. So it's perhaps better to focus on what strategies benefit from from this particular cycle we're in now, namely one of quantitative tightening and higher interest rates. And again I'm going to Focus on hedge funds because we do believe that this is the area within alternative investments that is making the most notable comeback. Remember how I had mentioned at the outset that the end of QE meant the end of a consistent bull market for equities and more volatility? That volatility can be interpreted as existing inefficiencies in the market becoming unhinged. What I mean is, when you have an inefficient market, prices don't reflect all information available. This was sort of true during the QE programs. Really, since after the great financial crisis, when stocks went up more or less indiscriminately, never mind that the information available on a stock or a company pointed to a much lower price. Hedge fund strategies thrive in an environment when volatility is high and these inefficiencies become unhinged because they are able to spot and take advantage of interesting investment opportunities and inconsistencies in markets. Incidentally, this is also the reason why hedge funds generally did quite poorly for a good decade between 2010 and 2020. So as long as we have uncertainty in the market, coupled with inefficiencies and fundamental shifts in capital flows and economic trends, hedge funds are pretty well positioned to deliver value.
1: And within hedge funds then, there are lots of different strategies. So what do you like at the moment in particular?
2: We think, and I might add that my brilliant colleague Ivan Ilyev wrote a piece on this too, that relative value strategies will be making a comeback. We actually observe it already today. Markets are at an important inflection point for hedge funds, as the heightened volatility and higher interest rates create vastly different investment environments for hedge funds compared to the last decades or so. I had mentioned this just now. We think this is especially true for relative value strategies. This is really the old-school strategies that made the industry famous in the 1990s and 2000s.
1: Now, can you tell me exactly what relative value strategies
2: are? So relative value strategies, in a nutshell, exploit the spread, that's the price difference, between two related securities. A relative value investor will try to identify assets that are mispriced, so investors should be able to benefit from perceived market inefficiencies. This is true for most opportunistic equity longshore traders as they hedge out market or sector or factor risks via short positions in stocks or baskets of stocks. Let me mention a more specific investment strategy and that is merger arbitrage. Here, the investment manager will go long a company or buy the company that is being purchased in a merger and acquisition or an M&A transaction. The reason for buying the stock of the company that is being purchased is that the offering price typically comes with a premium it wouldn't occur to anyone to sell a company at the current market price. So what happens then is that between the announcement of the merger and the merger deal closing, the price of the stock will move towards the offering price. And the Microsoft Activision deal, would that be a good example here? So yeah, that's a very good example, actually. Last year, in 2022, Microsoft had announced its plan to acquire Activision Blizzard, which was trading at around $65 per share. Microsoft had offered $95 per share and in response to this offer, Activision Blizzard stock price rose to around $80-$85. So if you had held the stock or bought the stock at $65 per share, you immediately made a profit. The beauty of this strategy is that the success and the volatility hinges on the deal closing and not on the market more generally. We see much less volatility in this strategy in a period where market volatility might be very high. So you may have guessed it, but the most important characteristic of relative value strategies is that they are typically market neutral. The goal is to generate attractive performance that is independent of the general direction of the market, and that's what we call alpha. And that in turn is valuable for a client portfolio to diversify risk, especially when clients worry about market volatility as many currently do.
1: Okay, so with merger arbitrage then, this is to do with the price a company trades at after a merger has been announced versus the price the acquirer then actually pays for it when the deal is completed. Does this happen quite a lot then, that it's actually a different price that is paid in the end and investors can profit from this?
2: Yes, that's exactly what it means. And that's actually one of the strategies we currently prefer. But it hinges on a few things. Number one, there needs to be actual M&A activity. In 2022, M&A activity dropped by around 14%, but that still meant that we saw 50,000 M&A transactions globally, and this in a market with lots of headwinds. So we're pretty comfortable with the opportunity set right now. The second factor is that the deals actually need to close, otherwise we stand the risk of seeing losses. And this brings me to number three. We need to pick the best investment manager with the best knowledge and experience possible. This means not just financial knowledge, but increasingly also knowledge around regulation, political aspects and legal matters, especially for cross-jurisdictional M&A activity.
1: How can relative value strategies protect investors from volatility then? I mean, volatility can come from lots of different places. So how does this work?
2: Well, low volatility is really the common theme of all relative value strategies. When using relative value strategies, managers construct market-neutral portfolios to eliminate systematic risk to the broader market, as well as to specific factors like small-cap, growth or cyclical stocks. This lack of directionality translates into lower overall volatility. And so the reason relative value funds are an attractive investment for clients is that they are generally uncorrelated with the broader market and generally less volatile than, let's say, the S&P 500. In a portfolio context, then, that means improved diversification.
1: Okay, sounds good, but it does also sound a bit too good to be true. Is there a downside
2: here? Well, Helen, there's always risks, and it's very important to understand the risks before making an investment decision. One is certainly that high leverage can magnify losses if markets fail, for example, in a sudden liquidity crunch. Another is that markets may move against an investment manager. The question of whether security is undervalued or overvalued is speculative, and the investment manager may just plain and simple be wrong, or markets move against them at least for a period of time. For example, there are strategies that rely on reversion to the mean, meaning that investors will often assume that in the long run, prices will revert towards their long-term historical averages. So, an asset may be shorted because it is considered expensive versus its historical price, or it may be bought because it trades below the long-term average. Markets can move against that, and worst case, both the long and short side can lead to losses.
1: And why do you particularly like relative value strategies now? Is it the uncertainty or the fact we're heading for a phase of lower growth, or is there more to it?
2: Well, 2022 was the dawn of a fundamental shift in global markets after nearly 15 years of low interest rates and cheap corporate debt. And this is significant for hedge funds and alternative strategies. To transition from the economic conditions that followed 2008, and whatever comes next will take some time to unfold, The rally lifting stock prices across the board has run out of steam. And yes, we've seen very solid equity markets over the last few months, but the odds of higher volatility in the market continues to be substantial.
1: Thanks very much, Adrienne, for your time today. Thanks, Helen. Always good to be here. And with that, we conclude this edition of the Beyond Markets podcast. Thanks again to Adrian, and thank you all for tuning in. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this conversation and that you will join us again soon. Bye for now.
2: Get ready for the day ahead. Moving Markets is a daily market news briefing from Julius Baer's leading experts. You'll hear all about the latest ups and downs across asset classes, the underlying drivers, and our thoughts on where markets are heading. Search for moving markets
0: on your favourite podcast player. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Bear. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Bear, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research.